Well, thanks, Catherine and team, and welcome everyone at home uh, watching on their computers, their TV screens, however it might be. And we've got uh, a small congregation here this morning, and welcome to you guys as well. It's nice to have people in the building. Uh, There's only a few of us, or a handful of us, uh, there's some parents here today, because uh, we've got 75 people that can be on site, and most of them are out in our children's ministry. Uh, Melissa and her team are running a special children's ministry session today to finish off this interrupted school term so the kids can have some uh, real peace and and a bit of fun out there. Um, So they're going to have a great time and we'll have a great time in here as well. So it's good to have you all with us. Some some sad news to start us off though is our, our dear friend Lindsay Smith has gone to be with God. He passed away quietly in his sleep yesterday um, so please be praying for uh, Meryl and for the family, for Ivan and Brendan, the sons, and uh, the two other siblings, for the grandkids that, that attend KSBC, for Braden, for Matt, and for Ashley. Please be praying for them. Um, they were prepared, but nothing really prepared. So we'll keep you in updated when we know more about details of a service uh, for Lindsay. A few other things. We won't be having night church tonight. Uh, We'll be getting back to morning and evening church next week and Eventbrite registrations will start again. We are hoping that there'll be more than 75 allowed in the building. Uh, We just don't know until midweek, so we'll let you know how that's all going to work. If there's only 75 people allowed into the building, it will mean that some of you won't be able to get into church. Uh, But we hope over the next few weeks that'll open up more as our cases go down. So, But we'll have morning and evening again. So keep on checking emails, check on the Facebook group, uh, we'll put things out so that you will know what's going on. Um, thanks, I've got to say a big thanks to uh, Graham Goldsmith and a team of people that he put together to, who came and cleared up our car park after the storms, was just a, a big mess, it was, the debris was everywhere and through the week, um, last week they came and they cleared all that up and those people were uh, Graham, Rod and Kaz, Liz and Gordon... Uh, John King, Roger Older and Eric Moore and I just want to say thanks to them uh, for for taking the time out to do that so what a blessing that was for for us to to see that that all that debris had been picked up so thank you and if I've missed everyone out anyone out I'm really sorry. Once again, Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Appeal will need to be started really soon. However, we're looking for someone to head up this really vital ministry. There, there are volunteers that are happy to be part of a team, but if you feel like you can sort of champion this ministry along, please can you um, speak to myself or speak to Sharon Gordon, uh, who used to run it. Um, she will give you all the training that you need to, uh, to make it a really successful ministry. It would be wonderful to have, last uh, few years we've had walls of shoeboxes uh, to send across to, uh, to people who just don't have the opportunity to get any, any gifts at Christmas time. So what a blessing it is uh, to be able to do that. So if you think you've got the skills to be able to coordinate something like that, um, please uh, have a chat to myself or one of the pastors or to Sharon as well. Many of you know that uh, just, just up the hills from where we are, um, there's been uh, a lot of people that are without power still and uh, trees down everywhere and have been asking, what can we do to help um, those lives that have been stopped due to storm um, damage? 
And I know some of you have already taken water and supplies to uh, the SES in Lilydale, which is a really great um, idea, and, and thank you for doing that. Uh, keep on to the SES uh, Facebook page. They update the specific things that are needed. Um, we got a, a, a list of things from Craig and Sue Smith, some of you might know, um, and uh, that, that are still needed up there. So, and we can try and get those things through to Craig and Sue, and she, they can distribute. But things like extension cords and power boards, uh, torches, um, fire lighters, AAA batteries, and, and gift cards. Um, generators cost a lot to run. So people have got these generators as a blessing, but they cost a lot of petrol to run. So if we can get 7-Eleven gift cards uh, to them, then they can distribute to those who really are still in need. Um, if you know of anyone that is still struggling or uh, hasn't got any power or hasn't got the internet, I know in Croydon we're still struggling with the internet going up and down. Um, we've got a, a warm place at church. Uh, we can set up a desk if someone needs to work from, uh, from here or anything like that. We can set desks up. But just let us know so that they can come here um, to do that as well. We'd love to hear the needs of people so that we can be able to try and help meet those needs, be praying for one another in that way. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a video now, and that video is going to be of Matt Smith. And Matt is going off to uh, YWAM to do uh, a, a three-month uh, discipleship training uh, school. So we're going to hear from Matt, and uh, he's leaving early. Uh, so we um, haven't been able to get him in, so we've got him on video, and he's going to share a little bit of what he's doing as well. And then Jordan's going to come up and pray after that. Hi church, so starting on the 4th of July I'll be going to Perth YWAM to join the crew there um, and undertake a DTS um, yeah, in Perth for the next three months um, and we'll be going through teaching about um, what it means to do mission and discipleship essentially and through workshops and lecture phases and then after that next three months normally it would be an international trip but um, depending on COVID and the circumstances there that could change and end up going around Australia like they did last year, which would still be awesome work, um, working with churches and yeah, really ministering and discipling to those in need and yeah, in the communities there, which would be really awesome. So I'll be going for a total of six months, um, getting back in December. So it'll be a really, really awesome time. Um, unfortunately, I have to go on quarantine for the next two weeks uh, on my own, but um, at least I can get there. It's been something I've been wanting to do for the past year and a half um, and been postponed, but yeah, it's really awesome that God's really opened up this opportunity for me to go this year um, in pretty good timing as well since I just finished my university degree. While I'm over there, I'm hoping that God really works in me, or I know he will, and um, really drives that passion that I have for serving people and serving him um, in a way that can really help others and show God's love, essentially. And yeah, I really hope that he will create a passion in me uh, through this trip in how I want my life to pan out in the next next couple of years and yeah, for, create those passions in what I want to do um, post YOM and yeah, I'm really looking forward to see what God will do in my life um, and how he'll use me to affect those around me as well. Um, I guess to, for prayers from, from you guys at home would be just for safety um, with a lot of COVID stuff at the moment. Um, yeah, that would be awesome, especially with a lot of travel. Uh, if It'd be awesome to have other countries open up for uh, the ministry phases and stuff, but yeah, we'll see how it goes from there in three months, but yeah, that'd be awesome. Good morning, church. Uh, it would have been great to have Matt here in person to be able to pray for him and commission him, but uh, he 
Only found out on Wednesday that he was going to fly out on Saturday, yesterday. Uh, we were able to pray for him at youth group on Friday, which was great, and commission him, but we're going to uh, pray for him now uh, as well to uh, send him off and um, yeah, really encourage him as he spends this next six months uh, learning and growing um, and then also serving in ministry and mission. So let's pray, church. Father God, we thank you for the call that you have placed on Matt to to go and the obedience uh, to step out. And thanks for his faith, even in the midst of the roadblocks over this one and a half year journey of going on a DTS. And Jesus, we pray as he's in this next uh, 14 days of quarantine uh, that you would be uh, really using this time to prepare his heart for what is going to be coming in these next six months. Um, Really be speaking to him and comforting him and um, keep him sane in this quarantine period. Uh, Lord, as he uh, spends the next three months learning and and doing lectures and... um, God, reveal more of your character, more of your love to him, and help him to, to better reflect uh, who you are to the world around him as he goes on mission and ministry, wherever that might be. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that your word in Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it is impossible to please you, God. And so, Jesus, we, we thank you for Matt's faith and and. We pray that you would be giving us, as a church, faith to step out where you are calling us. And we pray for our church community, especially those who are still without power. Lord, may it return quickly. Lord, we thank you for uh, the SES and those volunteers who have been clearing trees and and fixing power lines and uh, all those who have been working to, to help with the recovery of the storm. And Lord, we pray that it would be Uh, swift and and quick recovery. Um, And Lord, we pray that we can get uh, help to those who are most in need. And Lord, we thank you for the slow easing of restrictions and uh, we anticipate to be, uh, to open up more and more, to be able to gather more and more, uh, to be able to worship you and to fellowship together and, and, and do church together. And so, Lord, we pray for a continued easing of restrictions here in Victoria. And Lord, we lift up the Smith family to you and we pray that you would comfort them as they mourn and bless the family as they give thanks for the life of Lindsay and bless them as they give thanks for, for his ministry and, and his legacy. Mm. Lord, we are so uh, thankful for who you are and, and your love for us in the, in the high mountain peak times of life, but also in the low valleys that God, you are here with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. So may we hold on to that promise today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jordan. Um, yeah, keep in, keep, keep in prayer that the church, the community, and especially the Smith family at this time. We're going to continue on in our series uh, looking at the emotionally healthy spirituality and uh, over the last couple of weeks we've had Jordan and Jeanette uh, preaching to us about different things that can help us to to disciple, be be good disciples, be really whole life disciples. And this morning we're going to to look at finding a godly rhythm. What does a godly rhythm of life look like? Um, Because a godly rhythm actually matters. 
In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer relates a story about farmers in the Midwest of Canada who were hit by these severe blizzards. And these blizzards were so thick and so fierce that they, they were dangerous to be in. So when, when the full force of this blizzard hit them, a farmer, they, they could put their hand out in front of them. They couldn't see their hand in front of them. Can you, can you imagine that? They were so bad that many farmers froze to death in these blizzards. They were disoriented by their inability to see. They'd end up sort of just wandering in circles, sort of lost sometimes in their own backyards. So what they'd do to to combat that was they'd have a a rope which was tied to their house. And in the picture, you'd be able to see um, these guys holding onto the rope. The rope would tie to their house and they would hold onto this rope so they could follow the rope home. But if they lost their grip on the rope, it became impossible to find where they were. And many people have died trying to find their way home, even within feet of their own front door, never realising how close they were. Many of us have a similar feeling when it comes to our spiritual walk. Perhaps you feel that you've lost your way spiritually, that perhaps you've lost the rope that, that kept you walking towards Christ and feel somewhat lost in the blizzards of life that sort of swarm around us continually. Because whilst we don't live in northern Canada, the blizzards can be just as hazardous here. It might be saying yes to too many things. Or to trying in your own strength to to juggle family work and and social commitments. And it just doesn't seem to achieve anything. I wonder if you're guilty of multitasking. I I have to admit that I don't even realise that I'm multitasking until I'm way too far into the whole multitasking process, jumping from one thing to the next to the next without actually finishing them all at once. We look at success and we define it by how much we can do because as we look at it, the most successful people seem to be the ones that do a lot. So why can't I do that? We live in a world that is continually overscheduled and addicted to hurry. Always in the rush, seeking to find time that just doesn't exist. And eventually our overproductivity becomes counterproductive. And we end up, how on earth do we get so busy? And why on earth do we feel so exhausted? Our free time becomes full as we try and squeeze more into the busyness. And the rope leading back to God's original rhythm for us seems to be totally lost. We even sometimes uh, see it. We see it in ourselves. We listen to sermons or podcasts. We read books. We do the Christian things. Yet the continual narrative that I hear is that time's going way too quickly. The days are continuing to roll on. I don't have the time. I mean, when was the last time you heard someone say, I had a lovely, relaxing weekend where I I actually didn't do anything. I didn't do the clothes washing. I didn't take the kids somewhere. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I was unrushed, and it was wonderful. (laughs) I was celebrating the good gifts of God that God's given. We don't hear that. Maybe it happens. Maybe that's you, and I'm really glad of that. You know, we've just had all these storms, and they add to the hardship of an already busy lives. But storms also come into our lives in many different ways. No wonder many of us feel lost, even when we profess our faith in Jesus intimately. We need that rope to find our way home, don't we? God's offering you a rope to keep you from getting lost, 
to keep you from being buffeted by the storms. And this rope will become a very tangible and practical help as we come back into a rhythm which God has set out and it will become central if you can hold on to that rope. It comes in the form of ancient practices that when put into place resets our perspective and leads us back into the safety of our God's arms from the blizzards of life. When I first became a Christian, I was taught to have a living relationship with God. And what that meant was making sure that I set out time for reading my Bible, for journaling, for spending time in prayer. I'd go to church on Sunday morning and I'd go to a Bible study midweek. I'd serve in the youth group. Uh, I'd be part of the worship band. This, this was, it set me on a path of faithfully serving God, knowing my Bible and engaging with God through these times. It was a really good time for me. However, what was apparent was that my Christian walk was based upon the, the good things that I did to connect with God. Yet, and this was my experience, you might have a totally different experience. I reflect back and I see two aspects of, of this that were not helpful for my faith journey, especially as a young Christian. The first one is I always felt guilty if I'd forgotten or rushed through my quiet time in prayer. If I prioritised something else, I would just have a sense of failure and my thoughts were that maybe God won't be pleased with my lack of devotion to him. So I knew all the verses. God's love won't leave me. It, won't, um, it, doesn't, it goes beyond my inaction or my disobedience. I knew all that, yet my, my guilt would cripple me. So when I missed a Bible reading for a day, it would then easily become two days, and I'd get more guilty so I wouldn't do it the third day. When I was set to meet with friends to discuss, we had accountability groups and I'd set to do that, I'd felt more obliged to lie rather than to reveal any truths that I hadn't done what I said I would do in my readings or prayer. It would bring about this sort of downward spiral. The rope was getting lost that I just couldn't break away from. The second thing that, that happened in this, this system was if, if, I, if I was doing my Bible study and my morning devotions and I read and prayed before work, by lunchtime the stresses of that day would have overtaken anything that happened in the morning. It was easy to forget that God was present and active in every single space of the day. And by the end of the day, I'd just lived out this day on my own. I'd done my duty in the morning and then by the end of the day, I'd done everything else in my own strength. In some way, I'd, I'd sort of make a sort of sense of solid, solidarity, a peace with God, say sorry for the actions that I went into my own strength and maybe God, tomorrow I'll do a little better. <laughs> but it just wasn't working. What I really wanted was to live out a, a rhythm that impacted my entire day, my every decision, my every moment, my each response that I had. It was, it was like eating a decent breakfast and expecting them not to be hungry until the following day's breakfast. I, I needed to find that, that rhythm that most of us have if you've got a healthy diet. You have a good breakfast. It gets you through until sort of a, a lunchtime. You might have a healthy snack in between. Um, you, you eat your lunch and you have your dinner. You have some healthy snacks. You have a coffee interspersed here and there as well. <laughs> but but you, you get the energy because you've, you've eaten well throughout the day. I wonder if we need a new or a better rhythm, a godly rhythm that sets up our, our daily and our weekly pace that, that sees Christ as central to every action and decision that we make. 
You know, obviously this is not only relating to Christians over the past 30 years or so. This has been inherent with our sin-stained history and it dates back to the first humans. See, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they enjoyed this unity with God. They, they, were, they were able to embrace God. They were, had all these things that they could do. There was only one limit that they couldn't do. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was their only limit. Yet their longing to have what they could not saw them sort of turn their back on God rather than do the one thing that they needed to do, surrender. See, at the heart of finding the daily practice of godly rhythm is surrender. Or in many of our lives, if we think about what our daily rhythms don't seem to get us or why they don't get us far, it's a failure to surrender. See, it's a surrendering of the, of the need to do something else, a need to fill the calendar to the minute, a need to be seen to be doing something so that I'm not uh, scrutinised or that I might look more faithful. You see, surrendering to God is saying to God that your way is better, God, than any way that I could try and do myself. Your way is better than the, the, the rushed diary, uh, uh, diary sort of entries that I have that make my life so busy. Well, the Israelites, they were stuck in busyness. They knew what busyness was. They were stuck in slavery in Egypt, and they had no other options when it came to surrendering to God. They were stuck in this socio-economic system that Pharaoh's gods legitimized. You see, Pharaoh's system of production is shown in Exodus chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it up. Uh, and you see the Israelite slaves, they... They were made to produce lots of bricks. Bricks, bricks, and more bricks they had to produce. Why does Pharaoh need more bricks? So that he could build more supply cities, so that he could store away the grain and the, the treasures that he would get. The more grain he had, the more powerful he was. People needed him. So therefore, Pharaoh was, un, was creating this system that the Israelites were subject to, this system of um, work. Continual work. And they had to make bricks as slaves. And as more wealth came in, it was attributed, therefore, to the gods that the gods had given Pharaoh this great wealth. It was this ongoing cycle. The gods of Egypt's, Egypt were not gods who would allow rest because their system was based on this want for more, a continual building up of this wealth system. In this society, if Pharaoh prospered, the gods would be glorified. Well, if, we just, if you've got your Bibles open in Exodus 5, um, we'll look at verse 4 to 11 quickly and see some of this brutal grind of produce. It says, verse 4, <coughs> excuse me. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Can you imagine him saying that? Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous. And you are stopping them from working. So what was happening? Moses and Aaron wanted them to wanted to go out and um, and and pray, and and praise God. But yeah, Pharaoh goes, no ways. You're not doing that. That same verse six. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. So they're already breaking, making heaps of bricks. At least they were getting the straw to do it, so they didn't have to go out. Now they've got to go out. You can imagine what was going on in their lives. These poor slaves of this system. Verse 8, But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. 
That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Verse 9, make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. It's pretty brutal, really, isn't it? Verse 10, then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. Chapter 5, it continues in this vein of relentless pursuit of production, all levels of social power, the gods, pharaohs, supervisors, taskmasters, the slaves, they're all caught up in it and, and have to live into this grind of endless production. It wasn't just the slaves, it was pharaoh, it was um, the, the slave drivers, it was all of these people, they were caught up in this system of hopeless weariness. There's no rest in that system. No rest for the slaves especially. Their production levels had to go up as they had to go and find their own straw, yet they had to make the same amount of bricks. Um, Earlier starts, later nights, dad's not home to see the kids. When they get home, they're too tired to do anything productive with them. Mothers who are also slaves are making bricks and seeking to help the family and feed the family. Uh, They just don't have the time or energy to talk, to celebrate, to stop. They don't have time to rest might sound a little familiar. Maybe we should see what 2021 society looks against Pharaoh system. I wonder if you can relate to any of this. I don't get time to rest. My job is very demanding. I go to work early. I get home late. I've got another Zoom meeting to go to before bed. I'll rest when when the daily grind stops. I've become a slave to money. So I have to work long hours to pay the excessive mortgage that we found ourselves in. I can't say no to the kids, so let's do sport three nights a week. Let's do music practice and ballet. Weekend games, recitals, bands. I oh, don't know where it stops. I wonder if you can relate to any of them. You know, we may not have Pharaoh beating at us if our production levels fall, but we still end up in this cycle that resembles that of the Israelites' lives. It's just go, go, go the whole time. But this is not what the God of Israel prescribed for his people. In fact, in the beginning, God set a standard of rhythm of work and rest. Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3 says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work he'd done in his creation or creating. There was a rhythm, work, and rest. We know it as the Sabbath, a word that's been around church forever, and the word actually means to stop or to cease working. For the whole seventh day, this is exactly what God did. He stopped. He worked hard for six days and rested and stopped. With Israel living in slavery, they didn't have that opportunity. There was no day off. For 400 years, generation after generation, they were brickmakers every single day. Imagine how ingrained activism must have been for them. They didn't have any rhythm or work, uh, a rhythm of work and rest. It was a rhythm of work. Tomorrow's work. I get up early and go and work. (laughs) Bricks. When God called Israel out of Egypt, before he gave them the Ten Commandments, this is what was written in Exodus 20 verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the the land of slavery. I'm the Lord your God. I, who brought you out of Egypt? Out of the land of slavery. 
The, the Ten Commandments are drawn back to the, the Exodus narrative, taking their story of slavery and this unreasonable work system and building community values that, that break that system down. See, the first three commands in, in the Ten Commandments are about God and the honouring of God. The God of Israel was nothing like the gods of Pharaoh who are always after productivity at the cost of humanity. Rather, Yahweh says, I'm after your surrender. I'm after your devotion. See, surrender to God who knows rest, who on the seventh day himself rested and calls us to the same. Because the first command, fourth commandment is the call to Sabbath. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in, it, in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's going back straight to Genesis there, isn't it? I wonder if we, in our busy society have in some way given up this idea of Sabbath or transformed it to suit ourselves. I wonder if we've justified away the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath calls us to, to build the doing of nothing into our schedules. I wonder if you've ever uh, scheduled nothing into your diary. Blocked out a block, I'm doing nothing. It may seem unproductive. It may seem uneconomical. But God's rhythm calls us to build into our lives times of nothing, to stop. The Sabbath, when we live it out well, is our means as the people of God to bear witness to the way we understand a life based on God's rhythms. We understand its gifts, its meanings. We understand the ultimate purpose of God. Observing the Sabbath, we affirm that God is in the center and is the source of our life. He's the beginning, he's the middle, he's the end of our existence. In it, we're trusting God to care for, for us, for our system. Eugene Peterson, a writer, he points out that even though the Sabbath has been one of the most abused and distorted practices of the Christian life, we can't do without it. He says this, Sabbath is not primarily about us, or how it benefits us. It's about God and how God forms us. It's about God and how God forms us. It's so vital to who we are. He goes on to say, I don't see any way out of it. If we're going to live appropriately in the creation, we must keep the Sabbath. So what I want to give us is a suggestion of how a Sabbath might look for all of us busy people in the 21st century, and how these ideas can also be brought into a daily routine, not just a weekly one or six days on one day off type thing. The key to keeping a Sabbath, though, is to make sure we don't legalise it. One day in seven, yes, but does it need to be Sunday? Well, of course not. Whatever works for your system. However, I'd suggest that you should keep it sacred as much as you can. And of course, it needs to fit into how your life works. And I think you'll, you'll be surprised how we can do this. Four principles for a biblical Sabbath. So let's do that first. So firstly, we've got to stop. <laughs> who, 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 who stops easily? It's not easy to stop. 
If you're driving at 100 kilometers, it takes a while to get down to the stopping point. Taking time to stop is what the word Sabbath actually means. It's actually difficult to stop because there's always something else to do. There's always one more project to complete, one more essay to do. There's always another set of clothes to wash and hang. (laughs) Did you know the world continues even if I stop from those sort of things? God continues to take care of things even if I stop. Stopping means trusting. Trusting that God will take care of the things that cause me stress if I don't do it right now. There's a story of a, a wagon train in the past uh, of, of Christians traveling from St. Louis in America to Oregon. They observed the habit of stopping for the Sabbath during the autumn, but as winter approached, the group began to panic in fear they would not reach their destination before the snows began, which would be disastrous. A number of members of the group proposed they quit the practice of stopping for a Sabbath and travel seven days a week. This caused an argument between the community until it was finally decided to, to divide the wagon train into two groups. One would observe the Sabbath day, as they would, did before and not travel. The others would just press on. Which group do you think made it to Oregon first? Well, the ones who kept the Sabbath. Both, of the people, both the people and their horses were so rested by their Sabbath observance that they could travel much more efficiently than the other six days, than the other, the other group. Theologian Walter Brueggemann said, people who keep the Sabbath, Sabbath lot, lot live all seven days differently. People who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently, not just the Sabbath day. Find time to stop. It is hard, but find time to stop. The second point we have is rest. Once we stop, we've got to work out a way to rest. God rested after his work. Six days of building on the seventh day, God's, God rested. So what does it mean to rest? Often we consider that rest maybe should mean to sit by uh, a pool with our legs up, sipping, sipping beverages somewhere in uh, a secluded uh, palm tree-lined space. <laughs> we don't have that. But Peace Zero suggests a different definition of what you can do when the Sabbath comes around. He says, do whatever delights and replenishes you. Do whatever delights and replenishes you. I love going and watching my boys play basketball on Saturdays. It's a time where I'm not on my phone, I'm, I'm not thinking about conversations that I should ha- have had during the week, I'm not stressed about the deadlines that are closing in, I'm just present to the game in front of me, and I love it. I love seeing the boys go up and down, I love the tension of the game. I love giving myself to what's in front of me. To Sabbath for me means giving my family the best, something that I'm still working on. But what do you need to to rest from on the Sabbath? Do you need to rest from your work to make sure you don't have your your phone messages coming through? Do you need to rest from hurriedness and, and just diarise a whole slab of nothing? Do you need to rest from the multitasking that continually burns you out? Do you need to rest from the catching up of errands, the the talking? Do you need to rest from technology altogether? Do you need to rest from decision-making on your Sabbath? Because when we stop and rest, we respect ourselves and the image of God in us. So stop. Find rest. The third thing that we need to do is we need to firstly stop, rest, and then we need to delight. Our Sabbath involves delighting in the things that God has put before us or has given us. 
After creation had been completed, God proclaimed that it was very good. God delighted in what he had built in his own creation. There's this sense of joy, a completion, a sense of wonder. Our culture misses out on joy and delight a lot, doesn't it? We can really only delight in something when we actually take the time to stop, to rest, and to see the delight that is there, to see God's creation all around us. It's, it's easy to drive through, through the, 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 maybe the black spur or somewhere that's really beautiful and miss the beauty around us. We drive at a fast pace, yet all around is beauty, and it's easy to miss. We're called to stop, to rest, and delight in the things that God's brought around us. Enjoy the good things God has provided us and given to us, whether that's the, the beautiful orchid sitting on the windowsill or whether it's the kids running and playing in the park. It's finding delight in the friendships that you have, enjoying the space to just walk and say hi to people, which has been really hard because we've been in lockdown. You know, I used to think, I, I honestly used to think that Sabbath equated to solitude. And that might be a part of it for you. However, to delight in God's blessing to you, it's a beautiful thing. It, it might be that it's a conversation with your neighbour brings you some Sabbath rest, brings you delight. Saying that, our fourth thing actually is contemplation, the fourth part of the Sabbath. See, Sabbath needs some space for contemplation, to reflect on God's goodness and blessing to you from the week. Maybe it's being able to listen to Christian worship while you walk. Maybe it's time spent reading scripture, praying. It might be if you're Sabbathing on the Sunday, that part of your regular Sabbath is taking part in church, singing, studying scripture, sharing with others in communion, giving of your tithes and offering back to God. All this is part of our, 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 um, our worship. Take time on a Sabbath day to stop and to contemplate God. It's a challenge. It's a challenge that even as Solari and I were driving here today, said, I said to her, it's really hard because there's so many things doing. How do we just stop? How do we rest? How do we delight? How do we contemplate all in a day without doing a whole lot of stuff? I wonder if you can, in this next month, Find a day in the week where you're able to keep a day set apart, stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. I've got one final thought, though. At the start of the sermon, I suggested that we needed to find a, a daily rhythm, and I've, I've really only talked about a weekly rhythm at the moment. Six days of, of working, of doing the different things, of doing your job, doing your chores, doing those things that need to be done in one day where you delight, you rest, you stop, and contemplate. But, but what about this daily rhythm? One that keeps us grounded in him for the whole day and the whole week. Schizero refers to it as the daily office. And it's not Schizero's uh, ideas. This has come from many, many uh, moons ago. And, and it's a process of stopping, centering ourselves before God, being silent before God, and then allowing scripture to feed into your day. For the early church, the daily office was about the work of God, what God was doing and what, what God was doing within them, 
bringing the self back to the presence of God throughout the day. Peter Cesaro, the, the writer of uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he, he spent some time with monks who would do this seven times a day from sun up to sundown, daily taking the time to recenter before God, seven times. When I was a pastor at Newport, uh, I started the practice of, of doing some, I didn't do seven times a day, but uh, doing this uh, daily office. I'd have my quiet time in the morning, I'd read my Bible, pray, get stuck into the day. But at lunch, I made sure that before I went and got some food or went and did whatever, I would purposely stop, I'd stand up and stretch, and then I'd do my next daily office. Uh, Pete Scazzaro has a, a daily office devotional book that I use, but you can, any devotional book or app would do. You can find heaps of them all over the place. But what I found was happening was that it was like I was sort of hitting the reset button. It was a, a refocusing time, reorienting reorienting me back towards God through the middle of my day so that God became part of the key activities of my afternoon. You might want to set a clock for these times. You might want to do it three times a day, one morning, midday and evening, perhaps only two. Whatever it is, I urge you to set a few times through your day to refocus yourself towards God. Quite often we just do those little, little shoot-up prayers through the day, and that's okay. But have a real time of reorienting yourself towards God again. At the end of the day, ask yourself the questions, where was God in my day? What were the things that I needed to rethink about? Is there anything that I need to confess? And reorient your night towards God again. Because every time we take time for Him either daily or in our weekly rhythms, our grip gets a little tighter on that rope and it leads us directly to Christ, even when the storms are buffeting the hardest. I encourage you, seek this out. Do some extra research. Come and have a chat to me about what a daily rhythm might look like for you. I'd love to chat with you about it, but I want to pray for you now that your rhythms might Change or be helped so that every part of your life is oriented toward Christ. Let me pray. Our Lord, now God, we give you thanks that you've led the way. You've showed us what it means to have a, a rhythm, a life rhythm. And in that life rhythm, rest is a part of it. And God, it's hard. Because our daily rhythms are so hectic, so busy. And God, there's always something else to do. And sometimes those things look like good things. But our God, we pray that we'll be able to find the courage to be able to say, no, I'm going to set aside a day. I'm going to set aside time at my lunch break. I'm going to set aside time in the afternoon that I'm going to give solely to you, that I may stop, that I may rest, that I may delight, and I may contemplate the good things that you've given me. So Lord, help us to do this well, that we may be disciples who are growing in faith and are helping others to grow in faith as well. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.